Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and God is in control. Whatever kind of day you're having, just know that He is sovereign over all of your circumstances. So you can put your faith and trust in Him. And I want to encourage you, if you're having a difficult day, to stay strong and be encouraged. And I'm glad that we're going to spend some time together. David Wheaton is going to be my very first guest. as We're going to continue our study on Exodus. We're already all the way up to Exodus chapter 20, which I'm looking forward to. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments today. And also then Mary Cassian will be joining me this hour. And we're going to uh, be chatting with her. And then Dr. Michael uh, Radelnik is our second-hour guest. So we're going to talk about David in our Old Testament series. And David is a very young man. So that's the program for today. I'm glad you're with me. And let's get started with our study of Exodus with David Wheaton. He's, of course, the host of the um, Christian Worldview, which is... On weekends, you can always go to the ChristianWorldview.org to learn more about his radio show and his writings and everything else about him. David, welcome. Hello, Bill. Good to be with you again. Likewise, yeah. So, um, lots we could chat about as we start our discussion of Exodus again, but um, the Australian Open, of course, just started yeah. yesterday, and I would love to chat about that, but I'm I'm going to defer to not talk about that. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a big story with Djokovic. It's a huge story. Being kicked out of the country. I would spend two minutes on it. I mean, it was really, uh, you know, pretty amazing. We're going to talk about this a little bit on our program this weekend. I mean, I, I really think that the, the situation has nothing to do with tennis, really. And mm. he, the number one player in the world, went to go play the Australian Open. He's unvaccinated, and Austra- the Australia has just in my opinion, completely over the top uh, COVID policies. And they allowed him to come in because he recently had COVID. But then when they saw what kind of furor this caused, him being there as unvaccinated and everyone else in the country has had to be vaccinated and so forth, they really deported him, I believe, because they thought it would give fuel to the those who don't want to go along with these government mandates. And he, he was basically cast out of the country, sent home, which is incredible. If you think about it, he's won the Australian Open nine times. He is yeah. tied for the record number of majors, and they wow. sent him home. Just to go to show you that money and sports is not the bottom line, bottom line in life, worldview is. Yeah. And so he, he t- in my mind, Bill— He's standing up for the second most important issue in the world right now, which is individual liberty, uh, the liberty to put what you choose in your body rather than someone else coerce you to put something in your body. Uh, of course, the most important issue is the gospel, but uh, I'm not even sure he knows he's standing up for it. Maybe he has whatever reasons for not being vaccinated, but uh, I certainly respect his stand. And it looks like he might uh, be in jeopardy with the French Open as well, which I think is in May. Yeah. His next uh, tournament might be Indian Wells. Is that in March? Yeah, they'll have some big tournaments, but not, again, as you mentioned, the next one of the major four is going to be the French Open. Are they going to let him play? I mean, they have big vaccine mandates there as well. Wimbledon, same thing. I mean, this is unbelievable what's going on in the world right now, that, that, you know, a a so-called vaccine that doesn't 
keep you from getting or spreading COVID. And I'm not, whoever wants to get the vaccine, that should be up to them. I'm, that's fine. If you read the information and take it, that's up to you. But that you're not going to allow someone who's not sick, who's already had COVID from just out of your principle of your mandate, not going to allow them to compete. It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he would be living in a on a house that he would rent and being uh, yeah. driving back and forth to the stadium and on a court very distant from most people. But right. it is is the condition of the country. It's how angry they are yeah. that they're also locked down. Yeah. yeah, and tens of thousands of people have cases every day in Australia. They have all kinds of COVID there. So, you know, letting Djokovic play, who just had COVID, so his antibodies too, he's not going to, he's not sick. So who is he a danger to? Yeah, well... Let's move on because uh, I love talking about Exodus and we're, you're doing a, a wonderful job yeah. taking us through this. And so maybe we can talk about some of the important points from the last time we chatted when we were talking about chapters 18 and 19. Right. And, and we'll just go really quickly over this. Okay. Chapter 18, you know, they're out in the desert now and Moses gets a visit from his father-in-law. And, you know, the, the nation of Israel has traveled now. They're only th- about three months into their journey and they've traveled ironically, so to speak, to where Mount Sinai is. And this is where they're going to re—Moses is going to receive the Ten Commandments, the law. And what's so interesting about it is this is where Moses was just about a year earlier. And he was there when he had gone into exile from Egypt. Remember, he fled when he was 40 years old, and he was 40 years in the land of Midian. This is where he met his wife, the family of the daughters of Jethro. And so Jethro comes over to meet Moses. Now, just imagine the the, the flipping scenes that this has been. Now, a year ago, Moses had been alone on Mount Sinai with the burning bush where God called him to go back and lead the people out of Egypt. A year later, Moses is back at the same place with two million people with him. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, that, that had to be a confirmation, yeah. you know, times a million that, you know, God is in control of my life and this is just what he predicted what would happen. So anyway, he meets with his father-in-law they, they camp at Mount Sinai. They're going to be there for 11 months. God's going to give them a law in Exodus 20. So Exodus 19 is a complete setup chapter. And in the preparation for uh, receiving the law, where Moses is going to go up in the mountain, I mean, there's thundering and lightning, and you see the awesomeness of God, and the people are terrified, and God tells them, don't come near the mountain. And there, there's there's a lot of lessons here, and, and just a couple of them are is that, you know, we need to be prepared. We don't come flippantly into the presence of God. We, we even to go to church on Sunday, to go into the Lord's house, we should be prepared spiritually, mentally, in every other way uh, to go worship God. And this was, a, this was kind of an example of that. The, you know, th- three days, basically, they were in pre- preparation and consecration to, be, to meet with God. Uh, also, uh, there was warnings about, you know, how God— appears on the mountain, he made the mountain holy, where it's, he's, we're made in his image, but we're very different than him. He makes things holy, we make things defiled. And that was made very clear at that point, is that God is holy, we are not, and we need to go to him to, for redemption. So the, the couple of those things were being made very strong and on display uh, in this setup chapter, Exodus 19, for Exodus 20, which is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. Yeah, it certainly is. <clears throat> but let's... Um... Let's start talking about uh, Exodus 20 and why it is one of the most important chapters. Well, I I think it would be impossible to overstate the importance of the Ten Commandments, which are given in Exodus chapter 20. I mean, this book of Exodus, we we call it Epic Exodus because it displays this awesome God. There's so many things in this book, 
you know, you know, the Passover we went over, the the plagues and coming out of Egypt. These stories, these true stories, are, are referenced all over the Bible. You know, whether you're in the Psalms or the Prophets or the New Testament, anywhere, it's always looking back to this particular time, and especially with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. So, uh, you just can't overstate the importance of this of this chapter. Uh, it's a summary of of God's moral law that He's giving. Uh, to to the, his own people. Now, it, beyond that, it will become a basis for legal systems all over the world. And, and I read a note in the study Bible that I read, and I'm just going to quote it because I think it sums up how important this chapter is. It says, by these Ten Commandments, true theology and true worship, the name of God and the Sabbath, family, life, marriage, property, truth, and virtue are well protected, unquote. Mm. So, I mean— these Ten Commandments address basically who God is, who we are, how to have an orderly society, and you know the first four, it's commonly said, are, are deal with the vertical between us and God, and the next six deal with the horizontal between us and other men and women. And so just to briefly you know, give the kind of the summary of them, I won't read all of them, but just to give the, you know, the, the quick Ten Commandments, there's more to this than that, but the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make any idols. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness or lie against your neighbor. Number 10, you shall not covet. And I, I think it's, it would be a really good exercise for everyone listening to, to, to actually memorize what the Ten Commandments are. They're, they're God's standard for holiness. And you know, before this time, God had put his own law in people's hearts and in their consciences, but now he's going to write it down in stone. And, and the importance of it is that, what's the important, you know, should we just keep the law? Is that the goal of life, just for us to, to keep the law? Well, I have news for you. You can't keep it, and that's the point of it. Galatians chapter 3 says, Therefore the law has become our tutor or schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith, not by keeping the law, but by faith. Um, so now that faith has come, we are no longer under this schoolmaster. So what does that mean? In other mm -hmm. words, the purpose of the law is to show us God's holiness— what his standard is, but another purpose of it is to show us that we can't keep it, and therefore we need a Savior. We're sinners. We can't keep these these Ten Commandments, whether in, in deed or motive inside of our heart. And so it points us to saying, I can't keep God's law. I'm not a good person. I haven't kept these Ten Commandments, and therefore, how, how can what must I do to be saved? That's really the purpose of of the law. That's what the law should drive us to do, is I, I can't keep this law perfectly, and so my only hope is to put my, my full tra trust and faith in the person and work of Christ and what he did for me on the cross. Mm -hmm. So, David, are the Ten Commandments for us today? Absolutely, they are for us today. There, there's the Old Testament moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, there's the ceremonial law, and then there's the civil law that, that God gave to the the nation of Israel. The moral law is still in effect today. We are to strive to keep the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, I think you can draw pretty much a straight line in our society uh, when the Ten Commandments used to be posted everywhere, especially in the walls of schoolrooms, and the, the, the misbehavior, the sinful behavior of our society. When those Ten Commandments were pulled down as separation of church and state, which was never in the Constitution, 
there were there was a parallel to what has happened in our society. And I think when people don't know God's law, they're going to make up their own law. And there, there's a there's a saying out there. I don't know who said this, but it's if we reject God's Ten Commandments, government will have to make ten thousand commandments <laughs> to restrain people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what is the case. That's what hap- that, That's what has happened in our country. Yeah, David, you talk about the first several commandments discussing our vertical relationship with God. When we come back, let's talk about that some more. Let's talk about some of the key points of those first three commandments. So um, we're going to continue with uh, David Wheaton. He is, of course, the host of The Christian Worldview. You can go to thechristianworldview.org. So next up, we're going to talk about the key points of the first three commandments. continuing our our study of Exodus and how epic Exodus displays the awesome God. We're in Exodus 20 today, talking about the Ten Commandments. So, David, maybe we can talk about some of the key points of those first three, which are yeah. our vertical relationship with God. Yeah, and this really does. These Ten Commandments show how awesome and holy God is. And he, he starts out by saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And, you know, we are all created. That's the first commandment. We are all created to be worshipers. I don't care if you're a believer or a non-believer, you will worship something in life. You're mm-hmm. either going to worship the true God or you're going to find something else to worship because you're a worshiper. And that may be yourself. It may be your own pleasures and hobbies and things you want to pursue in life. It may be your own made up God or religion, but we are worshipers. And so this, this first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, worship me. And this is ultimately the one commandment that, when violated, leads to everything falling apart. I mean, the the problem in our country, or in any country, is that when a vast majority of the population has other gods before God, things fall apart. I mean, that's ultimately what, if you look at any problem in our country, it's really fundamentally a rejection of God, of worshiping God and following His Word. And so the first commandment sort of sets the tone, the most basic thing, you're a worshiper, worship me. Then you go into the second commandment, is, is somewhat linked to it, because if you don't worship God, you're, you're going to worship something else and say, you shall not make for yourself an idol, any likeness of what is in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the water. In other words, it, it's in our nature to make things to worship. And when we read this passage, we think, well, I don't make, you know, a wooden statue to worship. That's for other parts of the world, which, of course, still goes on today. Um, but we make other idols in our life, maybe in, in a first world country like uh, like the United States. Maybe it's a you know, a certain kind of home we have to live in, or a certain kind of family, or a certain kind of this or that, or a certain kind of car, or whatever. We make ourselves idols that we worship that are more important. An idol is anything that takes the place of God's priority number one position in our own life. And it's interesting, in the second one, God doesn't want us to worship or make idols because he's a quote-unquote jealous God. And it's a very interesting phrase I remember hearing an interview by Oprah Winfrey one time. This is why she rejected biblical Christianity, she said, because she said, a jealous God? Well, I don't want to worship a jealous God. Well, the, here's what she didn't realize, that God deserves all worship. There is no, There actually is no other God besides God. All other 
gods with small g's are just fake gods. Mm -hmm. And so can you imagine being God and you creating the heavens and the earth and creating each one of us? And then what you've created goes off and worships some fake wood or some other, you know, ridiculous God. Right. I mean, he's a jealous God in a perfect way. He wants our worship. He made this world to glorify himself. And he deserves, by the way, all worship in glory. And so then you go on to the third commandment. Again, these are linked together. Not only are we to have no other gods before God and not make any idols, but number three, you shall not take the name of your Lord, of the Lord your God, in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished to take his name in vain. And how common is this today, Bill? I mean, you hear people saying God and Jesus and Christ and all other sites of profanity, just it just slips out all the time. It's on network TV. It's not even bleeped out. And they bleep out obscenities. Right. But profanity is even worse, worst, taking God's name in vain. And it's very interesting that it's the name of God, the name of Jesus that are used in vain. Not the name of Muhammad or Buddha or anyone right. else. It's interesting how it's the name of God and Jesus. And I think that actually points to the fact that in our God-rejecting hearts, we not only reject him, but we take his name in vain. Mm. Interesting, David. Let's talk about uh, the fourth commandment, which is to keep the Sabbath. Do we still have to do that today? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think there are some various uh, interpretive positions on this. Um, I'll tell you what I think, but there are some other ones. So this one says, remember the Sabbath day. And by the way, th there's, there's a whole paragraph to this particular commandment. Sometimes, you know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, there's another another few verses after that kind of explain it. And the reason why, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or a rest of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you or your son or daughter. And then it goes on verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I mean, there's a big emphasis here on this particular commandment, and it actually establishes the creation. This is why we know that God created the, the heavens and the earth in six days, six literal days. It wasn't six billion years. They're not, they're not you know, uh, metaphorical days. I know there's people have different opinions on that, but I believe what the Bible says, that God created in six days, and that's why we have a week. I mean, that's the way our, we, we see it every, every week, right? First day of the week is Sunday, and, and Saturday is the seventh day of the week, and that's the day that God rested. Now, mind you, God didn't need to rest. He actually works every single day, the Bible says, to uphold the universe. But he rested on the seventh day, not for himself, but as a model for us, and as a gift for us. In other words, we should rest one day from our work and spend that day worshiping God. Now, the Sabbath is Saturday. The Sabbath is not Sunday, so it's easy to get that confused. And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not re reiterated or repeated in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or the Sabbath day. Things are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And I think the, the, the principle, as I understand it here, is that Christians aren't commanded to rest on Saturday, on Saturday, the Sabbath. That being said, though, Christians should work six days and rest on a seventh day. It sets up the model, as the early church did, to, to meet together on Sunday to celebrate the Lord's resurrection, to have a day of worship and rest, and that's a good thing, and we should do it. But actually, as far as Sabbath-keeping, 
my personal understanding, and again, I know others have different opinions, is that this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament, and that Christians aren't commanded to keep Saturday as the Sabbath day, but we should rest one day a week. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into the Fifth through the Ninth Commandments, which I understand is really the basis for a secure society. Well, if, if you think about these commandments, you know, number number uh, commandment number five, honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord gives you. This is, as it says in the New Testament, repeated again, children, obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you. This is the one commandment that actually has a promise after that if you keep it, it will go well for you. And that one, and then the next one, you shall not murder. That doesn't mean uh, kill in war. It means intentionally murder, premeditated murder someone or in anger. Or you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal or bear false witness. All of these things are, when followed, will create or cause a society to be ordered and not chaotic. And if you go down this list, Bill, honoring your father and mother, murdering, I mean, these things are rampant today. No, they are. And I think it's, again, no, no surprise that society feels so disjointed and chaotic and so much strife and conflict, because, again, it's a fundamental rejection of the, the law that God established. By the way, not just to put a wet blanket on us, it's for our good and for society's good that he gave us these laws and ultimately for his glory. Yeah, when you think of some of the uh, stealing that goes on in our world right now, even where they're saying that if you steal up to $950 worth of merchandise yeah. in California, you're not going to get right. prosecuted. And I think, no, 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 if you steal anything, you have you have God to answer to. That, that That's exactly right. And, and that just goes to show you that society rejects what God has clearly yeah. stated. Great point. And by the way, that's a good one you, you, you brought up, number eight, thou shall not steal. That assumes that people are going to own private property that belongs to them. Have you, have you heard this quote by, I think it was by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum? By, <clears throat> by the year 2030, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Well, and, and it's like, you see how that's just a rejection of God as well. He wants us to own private property and use what we have for his glory. It's a complete repudiation of socialism or communism where you don't own anything, right? The government owns everything. And so there's this there's this implication even within the Ten Commandments that you know the fair trade of private property is, is a good and proper thing. And by the way, and then number ten, you shall not covet. So you're not, not, not you you can own private property, but don't covet the private property or take the private property that other people have. And, and again, within these just ten commandments, there's so much in there that is was really the basis for how our Constitution and Bill of Rights was established here in America and why this has been such a great country. But as we reject these Ten Commandments and think we have a better way, we do that to our own peril. Yeah, David, I wish I had more time. I feel like you're just kind of warming up. This is a great study, and thank you so much for this uh, this time as we continue our, our work through Exodus. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. I always enjoy it. Oh, me too. David Wheaton has been my guest. You can go to the ChristianWorldview.org to uh, learn more about David's show, which I highly recommend, by the way. All of his episodes are podcasted, so you can check them out as early as today. Of course, that's after listening to my podcast. All right, we'll take a short break, and then my guest is Mary Cassian. We're going to be right back.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Primetime Drive Time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Welcome back. So glad to have Mary Cassian back on the show. She's an award-winning author and speaker, and she's a distinguished professor of women's studies at Southern Baptist Seminary. She's written a number of books, uh, Girls Gone Wise, In My Father's House, Finding Your Heart's True Home, Conversation Piece, Vertically Inclined, but her new brand, brand new book is The Right Kind of Confident, The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing Woman. Mary, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Good to be back with you. How's your fam? Doing good. Yeah. We just uh, um, we're sick over Christmas, okay. which wasn't fun, but all better. Yeah. So we're doing great. Well, I'm always glad to hear that, and I I know um, you've got a new book that you're excited about, and you're also going to be in town for a conference in mm-hmm. Eden Prairie, Minnesota, on February 4th and 5th. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I yep. want to get to your book, "The Right Kind of Confident: The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing Woman." Great title, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, um, you know, confidence is something that so many women struggle with. They say upwards of 85% of women um, have trouble with feeling confident. And often the confidence that we put on is just a kind of a fake act where, you know, um, to cover up all the insecurities that we have. So so it was fun. This book was great. It was a um, good look at, um, you know, some scriptures that talk about how we can be confident in the right kind of way. Well, I want to talk about uh, some of these battles that women are facing. Um, You know, talk about lack of confidence. And I think we all face issues with lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, we do. Yeah, battle, that's a big battle that women are facing today is lack of confidence. And, of course, that's kind of an internal battle that we face that uh, most people don't see. Um, and then there's all sorts of battles that women are facing that we do see. Yes. You know, women women are having trouble with um, um, all sorts of uh, the pressures that we're facing in the world, you know, whether that's anxiety or lack of time or relational issues, you know, whether um, marriages or uh, family issues, prodigal children, um, and then medical issues. And of course, uh, all of us have just been squeezed these last two years with trying to figure out what's going on with COVID and and um, all of the ups and downs with, you know, the political um, challenges that we've been facing and just, you know, the fear that we've been facing in many regards and the frustrations and, oh, my goodness, so many battles that we face on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mary, what would you say? would be some of the weapons that most women rely on to fight these battles? Well, I think that uh, we often rely on ourselves and our own smarts and our own capabilities to fight the battles that come up in our lives. So I think that, uh, you know, and, and that's a normal and a natural thing to do. So, you know, if we're, if we're fighting a battle with, um, uh, a physical ailment, we'll try and do the best that we can to address those things or to find the best doctors or to, mm-hmm. you know, find the best medicine or the best course of treatment. And over COVID, we've been trying, you know, scouring the internet to try and find the best information. And mm-hmm. and I think that we often rely on our own resources. 
And while that's a normal and natural thing to do, I think that the Bible calls us to pull out some weapons that are very different than what the world fights with or what we tend to go to, like in terms of ourselves or our own smarts, our own capabilities, our own um, resources. And the, the Bible tells us that that really the weapons that we fight with are different as Christians, that yeah. they're that though we live in this world and we have all those other things that we look at in terms of, um, you know, weapons to that that we equip ourselves to fight the battles in our lives. That ultimately we need to uh, go to a spiritual source to find the right kind of weapon to deal with any kind of circumstance or battle that we might be facing. Mm-hmm. Mary Cassian is my uh, guest, and her new, brand new book is The Right Kind of Confident, The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing Woman. So, Mary, let, let's talk about the Christian woman's approach to fighting um, life's battles, how they differ from the world's approach. So let's, let's focus in on that, because I know that's going to be extremely helpful. Yeah, I know that uh, that that most of us tend to just go to the default kind of okay. Well, what do I have um, at hand? What resources do I have? What what can I have to face this battle? What do I have in my arsenal? But I think that the Christian's woman approach is radically different. And uh, there's a verse uh, passage that we're going to be talking about um, at the Battle Ready Conference, and we'll be talking about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm going to be coming to um, Minneapolis area to be talking about how to be battle ready. And our theme verses are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it says, The weapons we fight with for our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So I think a Christian woman's approach to fighting life's battles differs from the world's approach in that we understand that there are uh, weapons that are highly effective for fighting all our battles, and that those weapons are ones that the Lord equips us with. That there's there's weapons that have a divine power, a supernatural power, and so whatever it is that we're facing, and and the women who are listening to this uh, show may be facing you know various things, health issues, or um, maybe relationship disruption, or a divorce, or a death, or something really difficult. And the the way that a Christian woman approaches that is to say, Lord, you need to equip me, and I turn to you because you are the one who will equip me for battle. And I, I really um, am really not able to face this battle on my own, and I need a higher power. I need a different source of strength, a different source of confidence, a different source of power in order to fight this battle. Yeah, Mary, you're very accurate in your assessment because the way you described many women listeners uh, was very right on because I know that they're uh, suffering from relational issues and relationships with their kids and grandkids and uh, all these things you just uh, described. And even the imagery, some of the language we're using, we're talking about weapons and to fight mm-hmm. battles. And I go, this is really serious imagery we're using. 
It is absolutely serious imagery. And I think that so often we forget that we are in a battle, that life is a battle. And, uh, you know, it's not that we choose to be in a battle, but that that's just the state of the way things are. And Scripture informs us that there's this cosmic battle going on between right and wrong and good and evil and God's way and, and worldly ways, and, and that we're enmeshed in this battle. We are part of this battle, whether we like it or not. And all the other battles that happen in, uh, you know, are a subset of that battle, you know, a battle for our health, a battle for our well-being, our battle to, to remain emotionally well and healthy. All of those are battles, a, a subset of the greater battle between good and evil, um, this cosmic battle that we are approaching, that we're all a part of. And yeah, it's serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we forget that, like we forget that. We are in a battle every single day of our lives, and uh, the Lord would want to give us supernatural power to fight the battles in our lives. But so often we reach for the weapons that, um, you know, that, that are at our disposal that the world tends to abuse. For example, if we get into an argument, we might um, reach for the weapon of criticism or of name-calling or of shouting and screaming or of demeaning the person who we're um, interacting with. And those are kind of weapons that are often used in relation relational battles. But what the uh, the Word of God challenges us to do is to reach for weapons of righteousness. So to reach for the weapons of kindness, to reach for the weapons of understanding, to reach for the weapons of patience, to reach for all sorts of weapons that are really, um, in a sense, counterintuitive to the way that many people do battle. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, messages that you you get throughout the day when you open a, uh, see an advertisement on the internet or a commercial in the evening where you see this family at their resort vacation and their family's perfect and everything is you know wonderful and you go hmm, that's not necessarily the life I'm living and you start to feel all kinds of emotions and resentments and what's wrong with me and you can start to really uh, take this to a, a bad place if you don't stay focused on God's word. Absolutely. And we do need to stay focused on God's Word and to understand that we all have battles and that um, being in a battle or being in a, in a situation where things aren't perfect in your life is probably more the, no, the norm than anything else. The scripture says that uh, the righteous person will face many troubles, but the Lord will deliver him from them all. So I think that that facing troubles and facing hardships and being in a situation uh, that's difficult to face is... Uh, it's, it's part of the battle. It's, it's because we live in a fallen world that we face all these things. And I just think of uh, a bunch of my girlfriends and things that they're going through. You know, I think of uh, one of them who um, whose son is a drug addict, and uh, she has done everything that she can think of, and um, and it's through no fault of hers that this has all happened. He got into, you know, the wrong uh, crowd and the wrong uh, set of friends and just went down a road with his decisions that was very, very unhealthy. So how does she fight that battle? I mean, and, and I know that you know, it would be easy for her to beat herself up and to say, well, you know, it's obviously there's something wrong with me. I failed. 
But that's also part of the battle because this passage talks about the battle being against concepts and ideas that stand against the truth of, of God. And uh, the truth of God says that there's there's no condemnation for those who love Christ. And so you just need to, to hang on to that truth and not beat yourself up that you're in a difficult situation. But then you begin to reach for those other weapons and um, weapons of righteousness that, that the Word of God provides for us so that you can stand firm and so that you can fight the lies of the evil one. Those are such good words, Mary, when you talk about weapons of righteousness, when you say reach for the weapon of patience, reach for the weapon of kindness. I'd never put those two together, but mm. that is in fact what they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and uh, and and we're we're told that those are things that God equips us with: uh, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control, um, the the goodness, the thinking the best of others, and you know you can go into that famous passage in in Corinthians where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, um, and those are all examples of, um, you know, good weapons and bad weapons. You know, the, the, the kindness is a good weapon. The unkindness is a weapon that you might want to reach for if you're walking in the flesh. But if you're wanting to fight your battle God's way, you have to reach for his weapons. And we're told in Scripture that when we do that, those weapons have divine power. They have a power and capacity to resolve the situation and to, to walk towards victory in a way that ungodly weapons do not. Mm-hmm. Mary, are you still in, are you still in Canada? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm probably safe to say that it's uh, uh, warmer here than it is in Canada today. We're seven. Oh, we We're seven. are. We are at like minus twenty today. I think. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to rub it in. We're at seven. You know, this is like. <laughs> I'm going to get the Frisbee out and go outside. But uh, when I come back, I want to talk about strongholds. You've got this great passage in 2 Corinthians 10 about uh, the divine power to destroy strongholds. When I come back, I want to ask uh, about strongholds and what is a stronghold. Mary Cassian is, Cassian is my guest, and her brand-new book is called The Right Kind of Confident, The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing Woman. Cassian, my friend in Canada, suffering minus 20 below today. And she's yeah. written a brand new book called The Right Kind of Confident, The Remarkable Grit of a God-Fearing Woman. Again, I have to say, Mary, I love your title. Let's talk a little bit about a stronghold. What is a stronghold? And the Bible says that there are weapons of warfare that have divine power to destroy strongholds. I want to know what they are. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, a stronghold, uh, you know, in military terms, or when when Paul was talking in this particular passage, um, he had in mind like a, a rock fortress that would be like at the top of the hill that would be really, really secure from attack. And so a stronghold in military terms is a, a secure place, a fortified place of defense, uh, something like a mountain fortress or a guard tower, a hideout, um, a walled city, that, that kind of thing. So the definition of a stronghold is a place that's, that's really uh, secured tightly uh, against attack. It's a, but, but a stronghold in this particular um, passage has, has implications. It's not just, um, it's not a physical place. It is metaphorical, really, for a place where there is a particular belief or ideology um, that's uh, that 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 is held to and staunchly defended. So, so we are told in the scripture that uh, there are strongholds that we need to tear down. And then strongholds that are the right kind of stronghold that we want to run to. Um, the scripture tells us that the Lord is our stronghold. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the stronghold of my life. And, and that's a good thing, that running to the Lord um, and running to his truth and, and securing ourselves in that fortress is is the right place to be in times of battle. But... Because we are in this cosmic battle between right and wrong, there's also the wrong kind of fortress that we run to. And this passage says that the strongholds really are arguments and ideas and ways of thinking that are raised up against the truth of God. So a stronghold uh, can be any kind of wrong idea, wrong way of thinking, wrong concept or, you know, wrong script that we play through our minds or wrong belief that we cling to. And in this passage, it's talking about we need to be on the offense against those things and to, to, to tear them down and to go against them with the weapons of righteousness and with truth and to take those those strongholds down. Now, I always say that the war between right and wrong and truth and and um, um, untruth are, are are fought on the battleground of our minds. And I think uh, most listeners will understand this. That that you know before. Uh, often the the place where we lose the battle is in our minds. That, that's where we lose it. That's where we have a, a negative thought before that negative thought turns into a negative word. Or that's where we think of doing evil before we actually do evil. And so a lot of this battleground uh, for being on the right side, for find, finding our strength and our stronghold and our confidence in the Lord is fought in our hearts and in our minds, it's really a battle between truth and deception because the Lord wants us to run to his stronghold, to run to him to be a stronghold. And the evil one wants to tell us lies and get us all wrapped up in ideas and lies that are deceptive and really that keep us locked up and keep us from living a victorious life. Yeah, I'm going to have to re-listen to what you just said and write this down because you had some gold there, Mary. Really, really good. Um, Talk about some of the tactics that the enemy is going to use to trap us in our strongholds. 
Well, I think those tactics are lies and deceits. Um, you know, I just think I, I'm I'm meeting with a friend of mine later today who uh, got caught up in some lies and deceits and so ended up making a mess of her marriage, um, just caught up in the deceit and the lie that, well, the grass is going to be greener on the other side of the fence and um, and that, you know, this guy over here is, you know, the answer to all my problems. And that was the lie, the deception that, 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 that the evil one held out to her and uh and and she bought into it and now she's suffering the consequences of that it's just an absolute mess and now she needs to take down all those ideas in her heart and in her mind and step towards truth and 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 begin to believe truth and it's you know it's it's not easy because the world is telling us things all the time well if you do this this will make you happy this is the path to happiness this is you know you have the right to be happy if you make this decision and it really boils down to the the whole deception that from the very beginning that that the serpent brought up in the garden, really. It's like, you know, sin is so nice and so desirable and so lovely, and it, it looks so amazing, but it's all an empty lie. It's a deceit. And those are the kinds of things that that uh, the Bible says we need to do battle against. And, and the main, the battle is mainly fought in the idea um, in in the world of ideas and thoughts, patterns of thinking, things that we believe that are not true. Mm-hmm. Mary, what is one of the most important things a, a woman needs to fight back? Well, I think the most important thing that you need to know in order to fight back is to know that you cannot fight this fight alone. That if you go in your own strength into this kind of battle, you're facing a formidable enemy who is very skilled at deceit, deception. But the Lord promises that if you make him your stronghold and run to truth and take the weapons of righteousness and truth in hand, then those weapons have divine power to demolish the strongholds. So to demolish the lies, to demolish those falsehoods that, and those ideas that are going to take you down the wrong path and cause you to mess up your life in ways that are going to be hard to undo. So I think the most important thing is hiding yourself in God and, and running to, to Jesus Christ um, and making Christ your stronghold that's the most important thing and then fighting the battle of truth so staying staying in the word of god um and and understanding that truth is what will set you free amen so talk a little bit about the battle ready conference which is coming up in february at grace church in eden prairie i know physically you will be there but it's also available for people to uh watch online do I have that yeah, I'm, I, yeah, it is. I'm really excited because I'm just getting sprung out of Canada here nice. for uh, like just <laughs> you know it hasn't happened very often the last couple of years, so I'm really really excited about it. Called Battle Ready, Friday, February fourth, and Saturday, February fifth, in Eden Prairie at Grace Church, and uh, you can find more information at gather at grace dot com. Mm-hmm. Gather at Grace 
www.battlebusiness.com. And we're going to be talking about how to be battle ready and uh, uh, unpacking, I'll be unpacking this passage that we've been talking about here today, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about how to be battle ready in terms of some of the things that culture throws at us. So some of the ideas that culture is really pushing hard right now uh, in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality, in terms of um, our identity, who we are, who God created us to be. And uh, we are being joined at that conference by a woman named Laura Perry. And Laura is the author of a book called Transgender to Transformed, a story of transition that will truly set you free. Laura lived for nine years. Um, she transitioned from being a woman to being a, a man and lived as a man for nine years, went through the whole gamut of what that meant, and uh, and transitioned back after uh, she came to know Christ. And uh, her story is, is very, very uh, insightful and profound. And we're going to be talking about just just how important it is to take a look at the, the, the ideas and the thoughts and the concepts that culture throws at us through the lens of being battle ready to face those ideas uh, through the lens of, of what God's truth is. Mm-hmm. And Mary, in addition to being a great author and fabulous speaker. You're also the ultimate hockey mom. How many hours do you think you've spent at a rink in your life? Oh, man. Okay, well, you know, I'm, I've got grandkids now coming okay, up so on it's, hockey. It's so all happening over gonna, again, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to okay. happen all over again. Okay. Um, I, I had three boys in hockey, and as you know, one of them ended up in the NHL know, playing for the Minnesota Wild. I know. So I, I am goosebumps. the consummate <laughs> hockey mom. I know you are. Mary, thanks so much. Look forward to having you in our hometown in uh, February. Thanks, Bill. Always good to be with you. You Mary Cassian has been my guest. You can go learn more about her at marycassian.com, and also you can go to uh, gatheratgrace.com. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.